At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The stream universe, is anybody, is anyone out there? For thousands of years, we wondered if we're alone in the cosmos. Life, is is it a one-time event? Or is it something that occurred lots of times throughout the universe? And at this very moment, new discoveries are being bringing us closer to the answers. We're right on the cusp of being able to say, life exists somewhere else. All our searching leading to one ultimate goal. Find the intelligent life somewhere in the vastness of the universe. If we could discover an advanced civilization, it would be clearly the greatest discovery of humanity. Beating out fire. Get ready because the known universe, universe, known universe is about to take you on a hunt for life out there. Well, over the next hour, we'll show you how the hunt of alien life was directly changed over the past few decades. There's been learning at the bottom of our oceans, a Yellowstone acid pits, are giving us dramatic insight into how it came to be our planet. In helping us understand and imagine how life might emerge on an alien world. We take you on a journey to faraway planets where amazing creatures may roam the lands. Creatures make the wildest science fiction fiction movies look like reality shows. And finally we'll show you how new technology are being used to search for and possibly communicate with advanced alien civilizations. So, as Earth is the only planet where life has emerged, in this vast cosmos, are we alone? Are we part of something bigger? A web of life that stretches light years through the universe. Are we alone? And it ties into all the big all the big questions. How did we get here? What do we do? Why are we going? Are we part of a bigger picture? But for many years the question was taboo to science. Before the mid nineteen nineties, it's considered somewhat embarrassing to even answer the question, because looking for alien life seems a little frightening close to science fiction. For decades, the furthest we got into looking for aliens was imagining them on the silver screen. Man, what is your name? After all alien life, after all alien life needs a home. We didn't even, we hadn't even found a planet outside our, our own solar planet system. Science is in fact, Never talked about planets around other stars. There was no way to detect them, and so it was one of those those domains of science that you couldn't answer. Therefore, you didn't talk about it. In 1995, astronomers discovered a planet orbiting a star 50 light years from Earth, and since then they found hundreds more. The first time in human history, we realized that our sun, with its eight major planets that go around it, is just one type of planetary system. One example of billions. His discoveries are exciting, but don't expect to be contacting extraterrestrial life on these planets anytime soon. While it's been a spectacular ride the last decade to find these planets, most of them are giant 
planets. Most of the worlds we found are gas giants, which probably couldn't support life. You couldn't stand them. They had no hot surface. The large balls of hydrogen, and hydrogen, helium gas, like Jupiter and Saturn. We found a very few rocky planets, planets with hard surfaces, but they're many times more massive than Earth, between the most hostile environments you could ever imagine. One such planet, Kerat 7b, orbits so close, starlit surface temperatures reach as high to 1,600 degrees Celsius. Sunrise does not bring bring the sound of birdsong. Instead, the Mammogodon of volcanic explosions. These planets are going to be so hot. You can't develop something. You can't develop something as complex as life. Scientists have gone back to the drawing board, looking for fine words capable of supporting worlds supporting well capable worlds supporting life. Small rock planets like Earth. We don't know what life has to evolve on the surface of small. We don't know what like that life has to evolve on the surface of small rocky planets. We know it once did here on Earth. It's a reasonable place to start research. Earth is important because we know it's a little planet everything that helped to create life. A distant world with similar conditions conditions is at least a possibility life could emerge too there too. It would give a if it were Give a spurtonist piece of paper and say, write down every line, something you need for life. They say they need an, 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 an energy source. You need oxygen, you need water, you need carbon, you need organic compounds, you need amino acids, you need all that stuff. There's a long list of the factors that make our Earth special and perfectly suited for life. But most important is the distance from our energy source, the sun, at 149 million kilometers away. This Earth is just the right place for water as this is liquid. So why is liquid water important? Imagine a world so much hotter than the Earth. There are no oceans, no, no liquid water at all on its surface. So the planet would be like a desert. Without water, there's nothing to let the grains of, grains of sand intact. And the same way without water, there's nothing to allow the atoms of carbon, oxygen and trace elements to form the molecules that would rise, the chemistry, rise to the chemistry of life. On the other hand, the world much cooler than Earth. Can you this as ice? We have another problem. This frozen block of sand has all the grains of sand blocked together. They can't move around and interact. Just the same way they can't let, on a frozen world, atoms and molecules can't move around and interact to form the chemistry necessary for life. But the temperatures and conditions are just right, like here on Earth, and you get liquid water. The water follows the sand grains to flow together and intermingles and forms more complex structures. In the same way, water acts like a cocktail mixture, allowing the atoms and molecules to come together, utterly form the building blocks of life. And all the water is perfect for breathing life, lots of it. So it's made that since the emergence of life, Earth's first life form, one hundred million billion species 
have existed in the planet. Millions are alive right now. In fact, alone tells scientists a lot of these cones of cosmos for alien life. We look for life. Universe we can have to understand will come to different shapes and sizes. And some, and, and the same thing occurs here on Earth. Take this handful of dirt. It's not just dirt. It's not going in in there. There's an earthworm. Dirt going a little more. It, there, 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 there are these time like zooming further. And there are these little creatures called Paradoctosa. And still, smaller still, there's bacteria. Billions of them. Do you see? Really, there are lots of different things. And a handful of dirt. We should probably remember. We'll go digging around. If we ever go digging around on alien worlds. Life isn't always, isn't always something you see, naked eye. And these powers of dirt are secrets of our origins. Scientists are keeping, out, keeping that in perceptive. It's search of life in the cosmos. You, were, you have to be looking at, for the bacterium first, because that's going to be the most common. We don't, we don't, if we don't find the chance of find that, the chance of finding those tall, elegant, grey ET guys is going to be highly diminished. So there are other, is there another Earth out there capable of supporting extraterrestrial life? Even bacteria were closer than ever to finding the answers. The scientists have picked up a scent on this cosmic hunt. In the hunt of their alien life, scientists are focusing their efforts on finding small, rocky planets like Earth. They're searching for another Earth. It's like finding, to, trying to find a needle in a mammoth million haystacks. Because they're from trillions of kilometers away, these small planets got lost in the blinding glare of their sun's brightness. Those brightness. And so the truth is the matter that Earth-like planets are mere cosmic specks of dust, and therefore detecting them is really quite hard. Hard, but not imagined possible. Even every now and again, the planet passes directly between us and the star. And if it does that, the little clips and starlight drops. It gets darker because the planet is blocking the light from that star. It turns out we can see that. With this in mind, the scientists built one of the world's most sensitive telescopes and launched it into space. A mission called Kelper may not help us find extraterrestrial life, but it could help us find its home. Kelper is simply will be simply one thing unbelievably well. Measure the brightness of the ten hundred thousand stars over and over and over, look, looking for them. A few looking for. A few of those, ten hundred thousand stars that dim, seeing the tiniest dim with a small planet travelling in front of a star thousands of light years away, isn't easy to imagine. But the Kepler telescope is one of the most sensitive cameras ever built. To give you an idea of how sensitive Kepler is, I'm going to demonstrate using a massive World War II searchlight. The brightness of the searchlight represents the stream luminosity of the stars. I'm going to use a tiny marble to represent the planet. When this planet passes in front of the star, it blocks out a tiny fraction of light, dimming the star by a very small amount. And exactly what a Kepler spacecraft can detect. Kepler can detect a one, a 0.1% star's luminosity. 
But even if it spots a dimming star, it's still another problem. A Kepler sees a star, a star that dims. It could be due to a speck of dust that crossed in front of the telescope. It's possibly a binary stars. Two stars that permit orbit each other, thereby dimming the stars at one block, as one blocks the other. To make sure Kepler's truly found a planet, Scientists are using one of the largest Earth-based telescopes for confirmation. Telescope, telescope also determine the planet's mass and the distance from its star. Scientists are most interested in the star rocky wells that sit what is called the Goldilocks zone. Remember how important liquid was life water to its life? A planet in the Goldilocks zone is not too close, not too far from the star. It's just right. It's possible for water to flow as li- their liquid. We obviously sit in a Goldilocks zone, but in our solar system, Mars and Mars, Mars, Mars and Venus also do. But yet, to find life on another, either, either of these pla- two planets, knowing if a planet is habitable or not, it's straightforward saying, oh, we found a planet the size of Earth. It's t- 90 million miles away from the star, sun-like star. Venus is unhabitable, and Mars is unhabitable. Why is such a so harsh and hideous environment, so 1,600 degrees Celsius or so? Of course, the answer to, for Venus, sadly, is that there's some green fat, greenhouse effect. Global warming has overtaken Venus when it formed over four billion years ago. Venus had water and probably vast oceans on its surface. There is also a lot of greenhouse gas, water, vapor, the atmosphere, which banged and heated the planet. As Venus got hotter and more and more water from the surface evaporated into the Earth's atmosphere, trapping the heat even more on Earth. Much of the greenhouse gas, carbon dioxide, chemically bound to the rocks, and it is this way. It was this way on the young Venus too, when it got to about 400 degrees Celsius. The carbon dioxide started breaking out the the rocks into the atmosphere. The atmosphere of water, vapor, and the carbon dioxide. This circle kept going on, going, going. That runway green greenhouse effect was left Venus dry, lifeless and scorching, 480 degrees Celsius. Even if it wasn't like hot, its atmospheric pressure is a surface 90 times the Earth's atmospheric pressure, so you'll be crushed. And it's so it has so ferric acid rain. You know Venus is basically by every division hell, and yet they would detect Venus orbiting another star. You might suspect it would be Earth-like conditions. Mars also lies in Golo's zone, but it's had the opposite has the opposite problem to Venus. It doesn't hasn't had enough greenhouse gases trapping heat and become a cold, barren desert world. We have two examples of how planets have gone astray. We have to wonder how many others are there that a planet can fail to be inhabitable. There's so many planets habitable pla- ways to habit- a habitable planet rendered inhabitable. Kepler's planet is critical because the more inf- 
more potential homes is found, a better chance that life might exist outside of Earth. Five years we know for certain because of how frequent Earth-like planets are. It would it would be do this by looking at a thousand, one hundred thousand stars of at least two hundred billion a galaxy. But how is it possible to calculate the number of Earth-like planets? Opening stars without looking at all the stars is like asking how many blades of grass are on this on this circuit field. You could even go go down your hands and knees and spend the rest of your life counting every single one. Or could do what Kelper's going to do, which we call sampling. We have a small grid, two inches by two inches on each side. All we have to do is now is count the number of blades of grass. Each that little two roof each square and multiply the number of the squares that cover the whole this whole field. Let's do it. One, two, three, twenty four, twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, forty five, seven. I wonder if I counted that one. Two oh seven blades of grass in two inches or two inches patch. Let's get a calculator here and see what happens. Two oh seven divided by two inches by two inches means fifty two blades of grass. Of square root, rich, inch. Now we need a number of squares, rich inches in field. It was 108 by 360. Wow, it was almost one, 10 million square inches in field. You multiply that by 52, half a billion blades of grass. I've only, and I only had to count for 207. If Kepler d- does find Earth like planets, his method of sampling will bring up one close step closer understanding how many habitable homes are in our galaxy even if only one if one out of the thousand stars Milky Way galaxy has a planet like the earth that means there are millions and millions of earths orbiting other stars if I, if you ask me if there is life out there it's it seems seemingly awful or likely in the grand scope of the cosmos, we consider ourselves pretty lucky to be just the right spot to have all the right ingredients for life to emerge. But what it what it is it really luck? Or does it life run away? A few documentaries discoveries showing us it might just be another recipe for life to emerge. A general idea of what conditions are critical for life to thrive on a planet. We know liquid water plays a role. We know life needs an energy source. For us, that's our sun. And for a long time, scientists believed that every single life on Earth got energy from our star. And until underwater explorer who discovered Titanic also discovered something in the deep in the ocean. I find the most important discovery ever made is not the Titanic. It was when we discovered this whole new life system on our planet. We thought all life needed access to sunlight by working with the world's Woods Hole Organic Institute. Bob Ballard found a thriving ecosystem where there was no sunlight. 
They are creatures we've never seen before. One of the dominant organisms was a, what we call a tube worm. They were six, eight, eight feet tall. They had human-like blood. They wanted to re- respirate. They could stick out the tube, basically their lung. Prior to discovery, we found that all life on Earth owed its existence to the sun. Without sunlight, there's something uh, else giving this life energy coming from deep inside the Earth's core. Something called black smokers or hyperdronic to thermal vents are bringing up materials from deep underground. There is an amazing discovery because the temperature coming out of the bottom of the ocean was 650 degrees Fahrenheit, hot enough to melt lead. Leasing his life fried an extremely hostile environment, which meant we needed to span our narrow view of where life might be found. We don't understand that life evolved under conditions which seem horribly hostile, horribly alien. If it yet is not only involves and works, it thrives. It's a whole ecosystem that depends on these bizarre environments, bizarre environments that don't stop at the bottom of the ocean. Life is found in the worst environments you could imagine, like the boiling hot springs of Yellowstone National Park. Hot springs of Yellowstone can be pH 1, less like battery acid, and 194 degrees. If you want, if you want this, want in, want into this, it would. If you went into this, it would dissolve you. Doctor Mark Young, an astrobiologist, looking very closely at Yellowstone hot springs, he thinks those acid may be one of our biggest clues and saying how life emerged on Earth three billion years ago. The funny Earth was more like what you see in Yellowstone, boiling acid, very high temperatures, where life is depend- dependent. Not so much of photosynthesis, but the chemicals that have found the gases that come out of boiling hot springs like Yellowstone. These pits of Yellowstone are just nasty. In fact, the acid in them can dissolve just about anything. I, I have some acids here that are a little more concentrated. You'll find in Yellowstone, but the results will be the same. Now watch what happens to Penny when I drop it in the acid. I'm going to put this bell jar over it to control the environment. The green colour copper coming from the penny is an noxious film is being emitted. It's an oxide is not nitrogen. It's very very hideous and glad that it's in the bell jar. Well amazingly the scientists are finding life a plenty in an environment similar to that. That just goes to show that life can flourish even in the harshest conditions. Random microorganisms, not living in these hot springs but flourishing. Wherever there is liquid water, no matter the amount of light, temperature, acidity, life fries, this revolutionary discovery is opening us up to possibilities. A life exists in places we never thought possible, even under the surface of planet nearby moons. What is incredible is that it turns out that even in our own little solar system in diverse places where there could be life in 2008 a probe visited the Martian surface the Phoenix Mars lander and made an amazing discovery Phoenix dug down into the dirt they could only and after a couple of inches uncovered crystals of frozen water the key question is how far 
that the water persists beneath the surface. If you go and if you go far enough, uh, it, uh, it, its pressure and temperature hard enough, high enough, the water could, could, would be liquid, not in the form of ice. A very good suggestion, I think. They are, that may they are in fact liquid aquifers. Players, they might be able to drill down and find evidence. If any of if any of life on Mars is a moment, the scientists are also excited about what they believe to be ocean under, underneath the surface of Jupiter's frozen moon, Europa. Sure, it's cold and solid in form, and ice on the surface. Almost certainly beneath the ice in Europa, it's a vast ocean, thousands, hundreds if not thousands kilometers thick. Europa sits well outside the Goldilocks zone, but like at the bottom of the ocean, Earth's ocean, hyperthermal vents could be the empty source needed for life to emerge. These oceans' depths could be home to bizarre life forms, huge two two. Two worms feed the materials coming from the inside of Europa's core. There's no telling what kind of life might exist in Europa's ocean. But one of the most fascinating places in our solar system is Saturn's largest moon, Titan. Titan's atmosphere and surface features are similar to Earth 3, 35 billion years ago. Titan is one of the largest moons in our solar system. It's the only one to have a substantial atmosphere. Atmosphere has a lot of methane in it. It's cold enough that methane dissipates and drops, a raindrop, and falls out into the surface of Titan. Not liquid water, but liquid methane. On the Earth, methane is a flammable gas, but the temperature of Titan uh, is so cold. So cold, minus one eighty degrees Celsius, and methane is can form liquid. Titan actually has takes has lakes, rain, and rivers made of liquid natural gas, liquid methane. That probably isn't quite as good as water, uh, but at least it's medium. Things can flow around, begin to form bonds. Fluid, liquid, is where it's at. The idea that life can emerge from a different kind of liquid is adding a whole new dimension to our search. It's possible that life is elsewhere in the universe can thrive in other liquids, not just water, so we can have to keep our eyes open. Other environments is very other environments very different from that of Earth could have a life. New discoveries constantly shift our perceptive and on where alien life might exist. And we continue investigating clues of this cosmic mystery. We have to remember, keep our open mind, because life out there might be stranger than Hollywood could ever dreamt up. The hunt for life in cosmos is intensifying. New discoveries have opened us up to the possibility of life, because it's closer than we ever imagined, right in our own solar system. Even if it doesn't pan out, it's billions of stars out there, just like our sun, potential billions of planets harboring life, like Earth. It's completely reasonable to think there's life out there. There's just so many possibilities. Billions of stars, billions of galaxies, and da 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 da. Surely there's life out there. Finding life, even primitive microbiological life, would change our 
place in the universe of telling us that we're not alone. I wouldn't mo- and it would most likely be an indication we're getting closer to finding an intelligent civilization. It'd be uh, really fun if we could find an alien that could, you know, send me an email or Twitter or whatever all day long. But the very question is life or non-life. Once we have Malcolm we have potential for intelligence. But we don't have them for life form at all. We don't have the potential for anything. What if we don't do find complex life out there? What would it look like? Would it be anything like, like we see in Hollywood movies? Humans among us and Hollywood depictions picks aliens more or less the same way. It's clean on here, Roman and there. Here and there's slanty eyes and you know, big old brains and so on. All sort of alien. Well, any sort of alien resembles a human is ludicrous. Two eyes, a nose, and a mouth. There's no reason aliens should have adapted this way. Over hundreds of, over hundreds of millions of years, all the creatures of the planet have adapted to their environment. So the chemistries are similar, which means our genetic makeup isn't that different from an earthworm, even that from pet, your pet. Basically, all animals are worms. We're worms. We've got, we've got a head and we've got a tail. We're long and skinny and that's how we move forward. Dinosaurs are worms. What people don't understand is the environment is not a load mode map. Humans are not the top of the environmental ladder. We're not the end point, the goal of evolution, anything like that. Accidents were random. We ate through our, eat for our mouths. We breathe for our mouths. We eat for our mouths. And we breathe for our mouths, but we can we breathe for our mouths. We choke on food. That's a terrible design. It's a accident from of evolution. Maybe aliens evolved differently. Maybe they don't need to breathe. Maybe they can get oxygen another way. Anything that can go can go as long as it makes sense of our environment. So life in the other planet could adapt to environment and could be stranger than you could ever imagine. It's fun to speculate how many how life may evolve under conditions very different from those on the Earth. If you lived on a planet with twice the gravity Earth, there'd be a lot more pull on your body and you'd come crashing down twice as hard if you fell. So perhaps creatures would have would have stronger, stockier bodies and more more legs closer to the ground. A planet with very little gravity would be like more like the moon on Mars. I can imagine a creature, low gravity planet, that belong belong and spiny. Life in a low gravity planet might might be a tail and thin with long legs. If the life evolved in a very dense planet where the atmosphere is soupy or soupy or water like, you could see creatures big as whales or elephants actually flying go through not through the air, but through this liquid like atmosphere. I think we are concurrently ignorant actually about the real realistic diversity of life elsewhere. Life in the universe may be incredibly device. diverse. But could, it all, all, could, but could it all come from the same place? Panasomenia is the idea of spouse. Beginning in the classic, better star Galactica, a life began out there. Burning blocks of, all, of our life, our planet, may have originated elsewhere. We transported here, when a meteorite collided with Earth, comets are a lot, have a lot of organic minerals on them. Some meteorites have animo, 
acids in them. They are building blocks of purest ghosts of life. Not as so at least the building blocks of life could have come from space. It seems unmanageable because life, or the building blocks of life, would have had to survive an impact by a planet. Here in NASA's Army Army's Research Center in Northern California, astronomer Peter Schwartz and his team testing to see if this very panzamina is even remotely possible. It's good. Here I've got the projectile embedded with some organics. Our real question is will it is will it survive we hammer it at high speed. We're going to be firing at around three and a half kilometers a mile per second. This will be about the speed of something surviving entry in the atmosphere. Swartz will create a high speed impact using NASA's vertical gun. We'll fire projectiles at 1,000, uh, 16,000 kilometers per hour and 10 times faster than a bullet. It's a pretty special gun. It uses a lot of gunpowder, but compressiveness hydrogen gas and it and then it's released then the hydrogen gas expands where it expands the projectile continues on downs and downs into the impact chamber then the things happen this is where it all happens this is the impact this is the impact chamber the projectile's going to go through this hole slam into the target which is two feet across it's just only sand you see it if it survives with a vertical gun loaded and impact chamber set, it's time to test and see if organic material laced in the projectile can survive high speed impact. Just drives me nuts, but oh, okay. This was whoa, was gorgeous. Whoa, hopeless this stuff's left. The key now is to go back to where here, in there, dig out the pieces, and see if we can find any survivors, literal survivors. We're going to see what we did. Oh, what a mess. Oh, this is dramatic. Swartz squares of impact chamber, hunting remnants of the projectile. It's, this is looking, it's like looking for lost contact on the beach. Let's see what we, we have. Ah, this is so sweet. We did an experiment. We collected some pieces. We showed that we could actually got solid pieces to ride impact embedded into a solid piece of amino acids. You see it here in this image. You see it in this fracturing. Even though it's fra- fractured, it's not melted. Panamismina is not the far-fetched after all. It says you can transport seeds for life, if not life itself, from one plant to another. However, life again on our planet eventually evolved to different developed intelligence. Ultimate goal is to see what happened elsewhere, somewhere else in the universe. Well, and we're looking for and what we uh, what we're looking for for us, you know, Spock. We're looking for another civilization that even life like us or not like us, but is clearly intelligent. That's our goal: is search of it, retro intelligence. With so many stars and so many planets out there, be truly be surprised if intelligent life did not exist somewhere in the universe. Perhaps even nearby in our own, our own, own galaxy. Because these stars light years away, possibly to actually travel there, or will first contact be made the other way? Right now, in our own Milky Way galaxy alone, there are many, maybe numerous intelligent alien civilizations. Well, why haven't we contacted? Or why haven't we, haven't we contacted, been contacted by any of them? First of all, there's a lot of empty space out there. The very nearest star to us is four light years away. They could send us a signal for four years' time 
who get here, they could we could apply eight years later to them. That's the closest star. What what about communicating people across the galaxy? There are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of light years in between. It'd be if we wanted to pop over and borrow a cup of cook-off sugar, it would take some seven hundred thousand years for us to bring the sugar home. So that's a big problem. The nearest star four hundred trillion kilometers away, a current technology will get us there in say a hundred thousand years. The traveling seeing Soviet civilization clearly isn't gonna work. But how about we can call them up? After all, radio signals travel at speed of light. If we're going to communicate with aliens, that's going to be the most boring conversation we ever had. Because it would be, they're beaming radio waves to us. They're a hundred light years away. They say, hi, what's the weather down there on Earth? It takes a hundred years to get here. And we say, hi, it's fine. There are things here on the gutter crop. Another thousand years back and forth is sent three time travel that's that's a boring conversation chances two intelligent civilizations ability to communicate desire to communicate those around long enough to communicate take makes this cosmos chat even tougher though you've been intelligent in a sense with the same brain size for about a hundred thousand years we may may even only be able to communicate with the past 50 years tiny fraction meaning but never civilization could communicate with us 200 years ago. You might have missed the signal altogether. There can be a lot of miscommunication when traveling, trying a cosmic chat. We could think of communicating with alien civilization as a game of a cosmic catch, the stadiums of the galaxy. A ball is our message. So we send the ball out to the stadium. Odds are nobody's there to receive it. Of course we could... Could luck out and actually send our message towards an alien civilization. But that's what if the civilization totally emergency five hundreds or more behind them where we are. Well that would be like throwing a baseball to a baby cries. Of course. If anything if everything is just right, is that if a technology civilization are they capable of receiving our message? How have you go? Well what would what would be our first contact with extraterrestrial civilization? Since it'd been a long time before we could have a face-to-face conversation, the best thing we could do for now is to just listen. The send search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Seth Solisak is just doing that. There are visual antennas of, of all the alien telescope array. In one of the most powerful organizations in the world, the fact and kind of thing to check out hundreds of star systems. If you can check a lot out the million star systems, you have a really good chance of finding a signal from ET, radio waves, or TV signals from the recognizable patterns. So, so stack other scientists are listening to deliberate, deliberate signals from our de- of alien planets. Their telescopes listen to hundreds of thousands of millions of stars saying they do they do 24 hours a day the distance between stars are enormously vast most insular visiting is going to be be via stelling not actual visiting there is and what we're broadcasting out in the cosmos television transmitters are trailing away from the earth for about 50 yards I love Lucy in Gilligan's Island we're broadcasting the galaxy travelling at the speed of light 
and they are all embassies. They are diplomats of the galaxy. But ultra high frequency microwave radio signals been spanning into space for light, the speed of light. These radio, 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 radar, and television signals fill the sphere nearly 1,000 light years in diameter. So many civilizations within 100, one of, uh, 100 light, light years of Earth might be hearing our voices watching our television shows. We're sending transmissions into the cosmos. We're supposed to be contact signal from an alien civilization. United Nations would even join a manifesto. What we would do. The day comes we pick up transmission from an alien civilization. We all, we all as species, frankly, will face our greatest challenges ever, I think. It raises the question what represents Earth, who represents Homo sapiens, and I think the only way to decide this is some very serious fault-out process. If we do pick up a signal from alien race, everything, not everything's going to be, everything thinks it's such a good idea to answer back. There are those who I think understandably will argue that we as humans might, should remain hidden in a giant galactic tall grass. Because, of course, maybe they're hungry, for example, and we would like some house of ours. Would aliens really want us to ha- do us harm? Probably not. Aliens we contact will at least have learned to not live with them themselves peacefully. Though they don't exist in any numbers of the galaxy, they would have long lifetimes of intelligent, theological, communicating civilizations. We're closer than ever to finding answers to one of mankind's greatest questions. Are we alone? Is something in, uh, in us wants to find a, a place? What is our purpose? Maybe for that purpose is nice, uh, to nice each other and just to seek, explore, uh, to discover. Exploring and then every discovery we make will help us understand our very existence. We want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We are deep down in our lives of flickering moments of glory. We would like to know what their higher purpose, that we are part of something bigger. We are simply in one small place in the cosmic jiggle puzzle. We are truly the only special brilliant beings in this vast universe. Finding that answer could be mankind's greatest triumph challenge.